probably the greatest power you and I as a coach with regard to perception is the idea of introducing, well, maybe this limitation isn't really what you say it is. Maybe it's an idea that the world or you have put upon yourself. You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week, we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's J.R. and Lucas. Hello. And we are here talking about building a coaching culture. And today, I think we're going to focus on these two things that we call perceptions and behaviors. Sometimes I call them self-limiting perceptions, self-limiting behaviors, perceptual coaching, behavioral coaching. They're also intertwined. I think it's, it's good just to talk about them together. Yeah. I mean, if we talk a lot about like what perceptions or what beliefs can lead to specific behaviors and I think it's really useful to talk about it that way in coaching because you're not necessarily observing the behavior. So you're basing what you're understanding based on what they're telling you. So it's almost like, I think it's like a easier interface, if you will. No, you're right. You're right. Perception, you know, you might have heard the phrase, you see the world from where you stand. You see the world from the lens with which you look. In philosophy, you would call that a paradigmatic commitment. Fancy way of saying, what is your paradigm? And we all have them. We all have belief systems that guide our perceptions of self and perceptions of the world, perceptions of other people, perceptions of organizations, literally anything. when When you walk through the grocery store and you're looking at the different cans of soup, your paradigm is deciding which of those you're going to get where you're at, how you view the world. And one of the sections that you and I teach is on unconscious and the unconscious bias. Perception is your conscious beliefs. So they're, they're in your conscious. You perceive certain things. What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about other people? Building a coaching culture. Culture is largely the story. It's the story that you tell. It's the story that the world tells about you, about your organization. What do you believe about life? Schools of philosophy that say you're predetermined and there's schools of philosophy that say you determine the outcome. What you believe and what your perceptions are is how you're going to act in the world. Do you believe in coaching? Do you believe coaching works? I think you and I do. Part of our evangelism of coaching is trying to shed light on that for the, the rest of the world. And in coaching... When we think about perceptions, we often think about self-limiting perceptions where a person says, I can't do that because, and I think part of what you and I do is to say, is that really true? Or are you limiting yourself in this world because of that perception that you have of yourself or of the world? Some of those self-limiting perceptions, I'm not a detailed person, or I'm an introvert, or I'm not a morning person. That's one of the most common, I think. And it seems overly simplistic. But if you believe you're not a morning person, you're not going to schedule activities that might benefit you that take place before a certain hour. And you and I as a coach, 
might ask, is that really a limitation or is it something that you've placed upon yourself? Yeah, I mean, even um, we we were just talking about like the coaching relationship, long-term relationship and, you know, looking out towards the time horizon and looking short-term, but even that can be heavily based on your experiences and maybe you're just always looking, you know, at the next week instead of the next year. And I think that coaching can help, you know, open that up a little bit or at least point towards the possibility of having that horizon. No, that's a great observation. Part of what you and I do as coaches is introduce new realms of the possible. Peter Hawkins, who's a leading voice in coaching, he puts a comma yet on the end of people's self-limiting perceptions. I'm not a fill-in-the-blank comma yet because it introduces a new realm of the possible. Uh, People grow up thinking, well, I can't go to college. My people don't go to college whether it was from a certain neighborhood, a certain background, a certain family tradition. But that's something that you've put upon yourself or that you've never been introduced to the possibility of that happening. So, yeah, great point. Um, Windows open and close in your life. And if you say, I've said this two or three times in the last couple of days, when I'm talking about this, windows open and closing, certain points in your career, you simply just can't go back and and redo things like having children, right? You're a geriatric mother at 35 years old, right? That seems crazy, but that's how the medical world defines geriatric motherhood. And so if you're going to have children, you better start thinking about that at the right time in your life. If you want to be an executive, if you want to be, you know, fill in the blank, those opportunities open and close forever. So part of that's part of what you and I do. And it's it's not only self-limiting, but it's the world limits you too. If the world sees you not as a morning person, they're not even going to ask, are you available at eight o'clock in the morning to talk about this? Because they're going to know. So how much opportunity are you cutting out of your life? If the world thinks that you're a world-class Olympic level a-hole, they're just not going to interact with you. Probably. So it's not just our own limitations, but it's the world's putting limitations on us as well. She doesn't do conflict. Well, he's not good enough for this job. You you hear about when people are running for president. Does this person have presidential timber? What are you thinking? Yeah. And I mean, even um, based on your past experience, like you could say that, oh, I used to do this or, you know, I tried to do this and it didn't work out. So. It's never going to work out. Like these are things that, you know, your brain almost generates these like negative thoughts for you, like in the background. And yeah, they can totally keep you from making an action. Cause I feel like personally, if I'm really busy and like taking action, I'm not even as introverted or introspective, <laughs> like, oh, like wondering what it all means or anything. Cause you're so in the weeds on a task that, you know, and that can be good or bad, you know, like if you're planning towards something and um, working towards that action, it can be good. But taking a moment, we can keep going back to like mindfulness, right? Like, where am I and where am I going? Yeah, very important. So with this idea of perception, and in many ways, perception is reality, we might tell ourselves, well, that's not who I am. But if the world thinks that's who you are, 
then it doesn't matter who you think you are. That's the reality. And so as coaches, how do we change that? How do we begin coaching someone, something we might call perceptual coaching? First of all, a recognition that this is one of the the strengths of a, a 360 assessment or any other profile that measures your perception of yourself and the world's perception of you. There's something called self other disparity, which is I see myself this way and the world sees me a very different way. And do I want to change that? And then how can you begin taking action to change that? The household leadership that we talk about when we talk about principles and work, family, self, and vision, boldness and power and charisma, those are all perceptions. Perceptions you have of yourself and then perceptions that you project into the world. Your preference is not your destiny. And so if you prefer not to get up in the morning, you can change that. If you have difficulty with a certain task, I was just coaching someone a few minutes ago, and they're working their way through this nine-part leadership development program that they have to complete to get their next promotion. And it's a slog. She would prefer not to do it. But what you and I would ask, does this contribute to your vision? Does it go back to your principles? Is it necessary to fulfill? Do you want this promotion? Yes. Is it necessary? Yes. Are you going to keep doing it? Yeah, probably. And we talked about this already, but I think probably the greatest power you and I as a coach with regard to perception is the idea of introducing, well, maybe this limitation isn't really what you say it is. Maybe it's an idea that the world or you have put upon yourself. There's a case study that, that I use. I can't learn to speak Spanish. Well, probably I could. <laughs> I haven't yet, but it's my limitation that I put upon myself, not the world's limitation. And then the idea of a growth mindset. And I think that's what Peter Hawkins is talking about in a simple, very simple comma yet. People who have a fixed mindset would say, this limitation's here. There's nothing I can do about it. Someone with a growth mindset and a coach that's helping introduce a growth mindset would talk about, well, not yet. Who you are today certainly doesn't mean who you have to be tomorrow. What you prefer to do today certainly isn't what you prefer to do tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, even with like having that growth mindset, the more that you practice something, that the lower difficulty you perceive. So like something that seems it's almost like sometimes you just have to take your medicine and like is this something that you really want to do and do i need to like go through that frustration or am i just avoiding frustration in general you know like that growth mindset is kind of like butting heads with that oh yeah um, repeatedly well i know you're a marathon runner and i know to successfully run a marathon you got to do a lot of training you got to do a lot of long runs you got to get in real early, go to the city and run. There's a lot of stuff about running a marathon that's not pleasant. Talk to me about the relationship and why you do that and and the discomfort that it gives you. Yeah, I mean, then you get to a point where you could wake up any morning and run 10 miles. And then it's just in your mind, it's your belief that you know, nobody could outrun me. Nobody could outdo me. It's like, because it's so easy to you at that point. But like, then you talk to someone, oh, do you want to run 10 miles with me? They're like, no, 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 no. (laughs) So it's just like, once you've gone so deep into something or like put a lot of effort into learning or training at something, it just, it's so rewarding because now you get to flex your, your muscles out there, you know? 
that's how I feel. No, that's pretty cool. Yeah, you remind me of James Clear's book, The Atomic Habit. Atomic Habits. And this goes right back to the growth mindset. It goes right back to perception of self and the world's perception of you. If you want to change the world's perception of you, begin identifying yourself as to what that perception is. So I know you identify in the world as a runner. You identify in the world as a computer scientist, father, cartoonist, husband. And if I were coaching someone who wanted to be known as something, one of the first things I would tell them, have you read James Clear's book? What do you identify as? Do you identify as a fit person? Do you identify as a multilingual person? And once you get that realm of the possible introduced to yourself, begin introducing it to the world. And I think that, you know, nicely fits in with the, the second half of this discussion, and that's behavior. There's a really, really tight relationship between perception and behavior because the world's perception of you is largely driven by the behaviors that they see. Your perception of yourself is largely driven. So if you perceive yourself as a runner, are you demonstrating it by getting out on the road and running? If you perceive yourself as a morning person, are you getting out of bed when the alarm rings? Behavior informs self and other perceptions of you. So we talked earlier about a 360 assessment. You and I use the leadership circle profile a lot. And it shows in a circle how you think of yourself and then how the world thinks of you. And it's entirely perception driven, 100%. You answered the questions of what, how you perceived yourself and all of your raiders answered questions, the same questions, how they perceived you. And as you look at that, and if you see things that make you happy, keep doing those behaviors. If you see things that make you less than happy, then what behaviors do you need to begin communicating and demonstrating? So behaviors inform self and others' perceptions, but then also in the, in the reverse, people's perceptions inform their behaviors towards you. And your perception of, of people informs your behavior towards them. If you think someone's going to behave badly, you're probably not going to interact with them. So the only way to change that picture that you see when you get that leadership circle profile back, the only way you can change the world's perceptions of you is to begin communicating, that's not who I am, or no, that is who I am, and then demonstrating it through behavior. So communicate the perception you want or communicate the perception you don't want. And then demonstrate the perception that you do want. Yeah, I mean, makes me think about even like imposter syndrome or like that idea that I might be here, I might be invited here, but I don't belong here. It's like that's a perception that, you know, is causing this feeling that, oh, maybe, maybe I shouldn't go up for a promotion or... Yeah, by doing those things that that somebody that would get promoted would do, like you're you're now changing. Okay, now I'm seeing this person as a leader, and it can kind of be a feedback loop. I feel like if if other people are, you know, I'm picking up on something that you're changing for the positive, and now okay, it's it's definitely working. So I'm going to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. No, exactly. And when you think about introverts versus extroverts. A lot of very successful senior leaders are introverted. But if you ask the world, they're extroverted because they've learned if I want to be perceived as an engaged, caring leader, I better build and sustain relationships with other human beings, even though I might prefer to sit at home and read a book. 
And this is where the pillars come in. You know, if one of your principles is, I want to be known as someone who gets along with other people and is humble and, and, and enjoyable to be around. And part of my vision is I want to be a senior leader, but I would prefer to stay home and read a book rather than go out into the world and engage. There's an inconsistency to, between behaviors, what will cause the perception and what will cause the, the behavior that caused it. So I'm not surprised at all when I do 360 feedbacks that oftentimes leaders have this gigantic self-other disparity when it comes to being an introvert. They know they are, and the world doesn't. And it's, it's a positive thing for them, even though it might be exhausting. You know, they go home very tired from that cocktail party that others might just love. So then like perceptual coaching, you know, how can we change perception? Introducing a growth mindset and recognizing that there's a relationship between perception and behavior. Behavior coaching is similar. How do we change behaviors? Again, go back to James Clear. How long does it take to either create a good habit or get rid of a bad habit? The science isn't settled at all. There is no exact time frame. I think it's somewhere around 100 days. I couldn't prove that empirically, but the human brain kind of functions in those 90-day sprints, 100-day sprints, certainly more than a couple of days. But really, it's being purposeful about it, keeping track of positive behavior or negative behavior and trying to reduce the negative or increase the positive. And just like we don't need to be neuroscientists to be a coach, even a lot of what is coaching comes from how the brain works. You don't need to be a psychologist to use behavioral coaching to help change behaviors. Yeah, that's what I was also thinking about with the neuroscience piece of it, like changing your environment. So like, say you start running and so you buy running shoes and you have a running poster in your office and then maybe two years later you haven't ran in six months so it's like it became part of your environment and your identity but it it might you know maybe somebody that's a hobbyist runner is running more often than somebody that used to be a professional runner so it's like all these different ways of coming at it <laughs> so behavior coaching is us helping facilitating the leaders that we're working with. First of all, and I tell everyone I do a 360, it only matters if it matters to you. And so the first thing about changing perception, changing behavior, does it matter to you? We talk a lot about emotional intelligence or the lack thereof, which someone might call toxic leadership. I would call it toxic tyranny. It only matters if it matters to you. And so as a coach, you and I would be exploring that. Here's the findings, or they've brought the challenge in. I had a, a leader do this the other day, that said, I'm not perceived in the world as a caring person, and I don't want the world to see me that way. Okay, well, let's, let's see if we can do something about that. So that's the first criteria for perceptual and or behavioral coaching. Do they recognize it, and do they want to change it? And once they do, how can we begin observing, measuring? So just like any other kind of coaching, you know, it's the same fundamentals, asking exploratory questions, remaining curious, volunteering to help them be accountable. But at the end of the day, in some ways, it's all about observing and counting demonstrations and observing and counting communications. 
So one of my favorite stories is Ford CEO coming off of the stage and being congratulated on his speech. And he said, yeah, I've given it 5,000 times. And so communicate, communicate, communicate. This is who I am. But also demonstrate, demonstrate, demonstrate. This is who I am. So you can capture it in journaling. Journal every time. Say you want to stop smoking. How many cigarettes did you have that day? You want to become a runner. How many miles did you run this week? Conversations. We're not the only accountability partners. People have any number of resources of accountability. And they can be having conversations with people to say, you know what? I want to run the Marine Corps Marathon this year. I know it's the fourth Sunday of October. That's like eight months away. So can you help me out? Getting feedback from people. You don't have to take a formal 360 assessment to get a conversation with someone about, hey, I know uh, you and I had a conversation a few months ago where I was a little more abrasive than I could have been. How am I doing in that? Because I'm really trying to to not do that. Part of what we love about the Leadership Circle Profile is it shows your growth over time. So you can periodically take a 360 profile and ask people very formally, you know, how am I doing? You and I use Gokers, goals, objectives, and key results. If your goal is to be, you know, what are some intermediate objectives and what are some key results you could measure? Yeah, and I feel like um, it's kind of like it can be a silver bullet in coaching is just record things, whether it's journaling or just taking notes of like those conversations or, you know, those positive experiences, because then you can actually look back and, okay, we can say, how am I doing now? Okay. Did I have those things in my notebook or wherever I was recording it? Or, you know, if it's your Apple watch for exercise, that actually helps personally with me with the identity thing. Like, um, you just scroll back through the past couple months and see, okay, this is where I am, you know, due to all the training or whatever. Oh, yeah. I'm always surprised. I tell everybody all the time I've been journaling since 1980. And I could look at and see the day you were born. I could see all those life events. But even when I look back a month or two, I'm like, oh, wow. That's how I was thinking and that's where I was. Even that soon, that recent, I can't overemphasize the strength and and power of of journaling. At the very least, it's a conversation with yourself. How am I doing? Nobody's going to read it. It's just you. We don't care about grammar and spelling, handwriting. There's any number of ways to do it. You could do it with a word processor. You could do it video. Uh, You could do it in a journal, like a traditional journal. Well, that concludes this episode of Building a Coaching Culture. I truly hope that this episode was helpful to you. If it was, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Maybe stop and give us a rating or a review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.